This week on The Big Show, film festival programmer and film critic T.T. Stern Enzi will join us to discuss the upcoming Over the Rhine Film Festival. Plus, we'll discuss LeBron teaming up with Wakanda's finest, the Emmy Awards recap, and a former SNL star who goes nuclear on some of its biggest stars. In addition, we'll have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including Life Itself and The House with the Clock in Its Walls, all the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. A baby's being born, same time a man is murdered, the beginning and end. As far as rap goes, it's only natural. I explain my plateau and also what defines my name. First it was nasty, but times have changed. Actually now I'm the artist, but hardcore my signs for pain. I spent time in the game, kept my mind on fame. Saw things shoot up and do lines of cocaine. Saw my close friend shot, flatlining my same. That depends, carry Mac 10s to practice my aim on rooftops. Alright, and welcome to another edition of the big show. Keeping it Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon, and we have an action-packed show today. I will be in Cincinnati uh, as the, uh, I don't know, jury president next week. I guess that's the easiest way to explain it. Uh, for the Over the Rhine Film Festival and the senior program of that festival, T.T. Uh, Stern Enzi will join us to discuss that festival. Uh, plus, we have a lot of entertainment news that uh, both I and show correspondent Charles Kirkland are going to cover, and you've heard some of them in the tease at the top of the show. And there are two movies that need to be reviewed this week. Uh, this is us, uh, creator. Uh, what is the what is the guy's name? Um, wow, Dan Fogelman <laughs> has a brand new film. His directorial debut is in theaters this weekend. It's called Life Itself. We'll take a look at that film as well as the house with the clock in its walls. All right, so you don't want to miss any of that. Uh, Wilson Morales, who normally joins us at the top of the show, is at Urban World this weekend because we're still in the middle of film festival season, and he will not be here. As I said, our show correspondent, Charles Kirkland, will join us momentarily to talk about that. But before we begin, let me just jump in and say, uh, you know, with with the fall television season starting, uh, there's a lot of content that has been, that will be Introduced over the course of the next week, or I'm sorry, the next month, uh, you have shows like Empire coming back. You have brand new shows like Rel that are on right now, and so many other shows. We just found out a couple of minutes ago that Michael B. Jordan has been cast uh, as the main character in uh, the new upcoming property that they've just purchased for Tom Clancy that's coming back to the big screen. Uh, we're really excited about that one as well. Um, and I think the character, the, the first movie, is going to be called Without Remorse. And in it, he's going to play uh, Clancy hero John Clark. Uh, they've also optioned a second uh, film uh, based on the second book, Rainbow Six. Um, so this is really interesting that um, 
our friend Michael B. Jordan, man, this brother is really stepping his game up between producing, starring. You've got him, of course, in Black Panther. Earlier this year, he's got Creed 2 dropping in a couple of months. It's going to be really, really interesting for uh, for this guy and his career. And with that, I'm going to bring Charles Kirkland in right now. Charles, man, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I'm great. glad to be back. All right, so as I said, throwing man. throwing me off a little bit here. What's, yeah, I'm throwing you off, man, because, you know, uh, we're, we're doing this entertainment news together. Um, John Terrence Kelly, ex-Navy SEAL, Michael B. Jordan. Seems like a good match to me. Well, the, the great thing about this is this is not a character we have not seen in the past because he's also been in the other movies. He's been in uh, Some of All Fears, but he was played by William um, Defoe. Um, Liv Shriver. Liv Shriver, right. And then William Defoe William played Defoe. him in Patriot Games. So this is a this is a, a role that has been around for a while. They've even made a video game. The Rainbow Six video game is based on the Tom Clancy novel as well. So this this character is iconic. He's He's been the right-hand man to uh, Jack Ryan for a long time. We had the Jack Ryan reboot on Amazon that just happened and now right. we got the, the man, Michael B. Jordan, who's the new face of Coach uh, We didn't, you didn't mention. He's, right. he's got that new contract now and, and now he, he's he's been talked about being the, the new Superman and now he's uh, doing dude. this, doing this without remorse. He's. Dude, dude, I, mean, once, I mean, once you get into the Tom Clancy universe, there's like 17 different books that uh, this this character appears in, and this could be this could be his James Bond. This could be his role that he could if if it works. Right. You know, it, it could be something that lasts for him. Well, you're right. And now he also has, and I forgot, he's got another legal drama coming out this fall called Just Mercy. Right. Um, now, now, needless to say, I just want to remind folks at home, I'm from Newark, New Jersey. Michael B. Jordan is from Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, there are several. I, I'm just saying, you no. know, that's what we do. Max is making faces, man. Whitney Houston was from New York, New Jersey. New York, New too. Jersey. I mean, we can go on and on, man. I mean, that Jersey, that Jersey blood is thick, man. Sinatra, Basie, Sarah Vaughn, Melba Moore, the Osley Brothers, George Clinton. I mean, I just keep on naming people, man. But you know, it's all right. I'm from DC, man. Yeah, DC, Marvin Gaye, Elgin Baylor. Okay. Uh, you know, Belladonna. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Brown. All right, but but anyway, but I but congratulations to Michael B. Jordan. I wanted to open with that on the show today. But I want to talk about uh the Emmy Awards the other night. And uh, you know, I've been telling you for as long as I can remember, and at least early this year, that when at the Critics Choice Awards early this year, I had an opportunity to meet Amy Sherman Palladino, mm -hmm. I think that's how her name is pronounced, who is the creator of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, a show that I have no idea why I should like this show. This show is about uh, a, a family, a Jewish family in the mid-1950s New York. I met her and said that to Amy, like, Amy, why do I like this show? This should not work. But The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is an amazing concept. I'm not sure. Have you ever watched this I show? I watched it. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, a woman who kind of is this outgoing, kind of really conservative woman who marries this guy who has aspirations to be a comedian. He fails miserably at it and then blames it on her and then dumps her. 
And in a in a drunk rage, <laughs> she shows up at a comedy club and she is brilliant. She is absolutely original, brilliant, funny, and an entire series kind of evolves around her now as a comedian and the and the shade that her husband who feels like his <laughs> wife has stolen his career it's just it's a great show it is it is and and it, it ties in to some of the role things that were happening in mad men where you know gender roles and everything it's a great show and and seeing amy paladino accept her award at the emmys was incredible she's uh, she's really out there and <laughs> the show itself is is a direct reflection of her. It's a, it's a really great show. All right, man. So we talked about that show. It won eight eight Emmys the other night, uh, but and it's the first time in twenty years that HBO didn't really kind of rule the roost at the Emmys. It tied with Netflix uh, with twenty three awards each. Um, and, uh, that shows on Amazon. It's not right. It's not one of your regular streaming uh, sources, and so this is a a, a big step for Amazon. <laughs> with again with the Jack Ryan that we mentioned before, they're putting out some quality stuff and starting to get some notice for yeah. what they're doing. So yeah, absolutely, pretty good are. with them. Pretty good for them. All right, so there were a couple of notable moments, man. I don't know if you had a chance to see this. Glenn Weiss, a guy who I was not uh, familiar with, won an award for best director in a variety special, but. The fact that he won the award wasn't the big deal. The fact that he proposed to his girlfriend at the <laughs> Emmy Awards was absolutely unexpected, huge. It was the first time it had ever happened. And I, w- I-, I wanted to have some audio, and I completely forgot. We should have had that audio today. But that was great because he kind of talked about his, he lost his mother like a couple of weeks ago. Right. And then talked about his mother always said that his girlfriend was, this, don't, you know, don't ever lose your sunshine. And before he could even ask, the place just erupted. I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> my, my thing about it is, it, what kind of pressure is put on the girl for that? I mean, she can't, oh, you she's can't really, say no. You can't say no can't, in Max, a situation like can, that. Can this you is say guaranteed. no, man, if you ask somebody <laughs> in, in an award show in front of a room full of celebrities? Uh, can a, a woman say no? Nationwide television audience. Yeah, can you say no? Can, can you say no to someone who proposes to you like that? You, you notice he gave us no yeah, answer. I guess he's saying you can say no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, congratulations to him, I guess, because yeah. uh, you know he he pulled off a coup. He pulled a, pulled it off. I mean, he did. He did indeed. Any other time, she probably would have said no. Now, also Henry Winkler. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. Get I don't, that. That's not me. Um, I was saying. I did. I, I heard you, uh, Henry Winkler, who I'd been watching play Fonzie like forty years ago, and never won anything for that. Won his first Emmy. For, for for the show Barry that's on HBO. Yeah, yeah, great show. Yeah, it's a great show. First yeah, Emmy. Come on now, you didn't really expect him to win an Emmy for Fonzie, did you? Uh, it was a cultural phenomenon when he did it. Uh, that doesn't mean a thing. Did that, Carol O'Connor win for uh, Archie Bunker in the seventies? He did. Okay, yeah. a cultural. Okay, did 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 uh, Mary Tyler Moore win for the Mary Tyler Moore show? But she did a whole lot more than hey. Come on. <laughs> I'm that's just all saying, he was known man. For it. And I'm so, just saying, man. But so I was pretty surprised when he said that was the first one he'd ever won. And then the creepiest thing that happened at the Emmy Awards is you remember the character Teddy Perkins from that episode in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. Teddy Perkins was actually at the Emmys. I missed that. <laughs> it was so creepy because Donald Glover was there but Teddy Perkins was there. How is that possible? Ah, uh, hey, 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 hey. So, um, you know, best congratulations one more time. Best comedy to Mrs. Maisel. 
Game of Thrones, which is going to have its final season next year, won for best drama. And let's just go out on a limb and say in two years, it's going to win best drama again. I, I'm, I, do, I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard of the show. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, but, Rachel. We <laughs> but we can't go go any further without giving uh, um, goodness. Congratulations to John Legend. For getting his EGOT, he 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 wrapped it up. Now he finally got his four awards. So so think about this for a second, man. In a world of of so many talented people, um, that, that John Legend becomes the first African American male to win the EGOT, which stands for the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. Um, it, it's just it's a stunning feat. And just think, John Legend probably just started his career like ten or eleven years ago. Yeah, because I remember his original, yeah. his first album was 2007. Here we are, 11 years later, man, and this brother is like, damn, he's doing it. He's, he's doing, doing his it. thing. Before before this Emmy, he, there were only 12 people who had ever done it, and right. he again, he's the first African American man to claim the the Ford Awards. So congratulations go out to him. Um, also, congratulations to go out Brothers to uh, to Cat Williams. Who uh, won an Emmy? No, seriously, he won an Emmy for uh, for Atlanta. Yeah, um, Tiffany Haddish took home an Emmy. Uh, RuPaul took home an Emmy. Um, so there were there were some notable folks. Ron Cephas Jones won an Emmy for This Is Us. Samara Wiley for The Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Yep, yep. So I mean, there were a lot of the Emmys were were kind of all over the place this year, and and into in the best way. It's actually really really great. All right, so that is it with the Emmys. Um, we're going to take a break right now. We come back on the other side. Charles and I are going to talk about some of the other big-ticket news stories this weekend, and I want to talk to you about this LeBron James, Ryan Coogler thing. This is actually really huge. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. Load up the mic and bust one. Cuss while I bust from my skull cause it's pain in my brain. Vain money maintain. No go against the grain. Simple and plain. When I was younger, this I used to do my thing hard. Robbing foreigners. Take their wallets, they jewels and rip their green cards. Dip to the project flashing my quick cash. And got my first piece of sand. Open blunts with hash. Now it's all about cash in abundance. I used to run with his rich. And doing years in the hundreds. I switched my motto. Instead of saying, oh, tomorrow that buck that bought a bottle could have struck the lotto. Once I stood on on the block, loose cracks, reduce stacks. I cooked up and cut small pieces to get my loot back. Time is ill-matic, keep static like wool fabric. Pack of formatics and crack your whole cash. All right, and welcome back to the show. Uh, coming up later on, we're going to review the directorial debut of This Is Us creator Dan Fogelman when we look at life itself. But now, welcome back to the show and contributor and host of DC Film Life, Charles Kirkland. Welcome back. I'm back. I'm back. You Did you miss funny. me? I'm Did you back. Miss me? No, we didn't <laughs> miss you. All right, man. So we got some big stories that are out here in the news this week. And I want to start off uh, with the story LeBron James and Ryan Coogler are going to team up for a Space Jam sequel. Now, of course, if you remember, Michael Jordan starred in the original Space Jam uh, which featured him in a cast of, of Looney Tune characters uh, playing aliens around the world. It was actually a huge hit. Michael Jackson had a song mm. uh, in the film. Space Jam might not have been the best film, 
but it made a, a a truckload of money for the studio. And now LeBron James, who over the course of the last five or six years has really uh, just stuck his his uh, foot into this kind of producing space, has teamed up with Ryan Coogler, who you know is coming off of Black Panther. This guy right now is like white hot. So pairing James and Coogler. I'm anxious to see what the angle of the story is, but I can say one thing that I can guarantee you: I bet it's stronger than the first one. What? I okay. I'm not gonna say a word. I think Coogler Coogler impresses me as a guy who, if you look at his track record, name name the one bad Ryan Coogler film you've ever seen. Just I'll wait. Was it Fruitvale Station? No. Was it uh, Creed? No. Was it Black Panther? No. Okay, I'm just checking. All right. I mean, so I am under the assumption that whatever Ryan Coogler does, and I've seen his short film, Fig. Fig is really strong. I've never seen Ryan Coogler make a bad film. I don't think he'd start now if he commits to doing this film. And he's got the resources of James, also his own name. I think this is going to be huge. Wow. Bigger than the first one. I didn't say bigger. I said better. Better doesn't equate to bigger at the box office. Better means that it's a better story, and I think it'll be more well-rounded than the first one. Okay, but we're talking about a movie where basketball players are are facing off against aliens, Correct. and that, that's what that's what the first one is. Now, there's, I mean, of being that a Space Jam two has got to be something along those lines uh-huh. for the second one. So, I mean, how the, much, the first much, one made two hundred thirty million dollars? True. So, okay. I mean, how much more? Believable. I mean, it's can we make it more believable? Does it have to be more believable? It's does. It, I mean, we got Bugs Bunny going on here. Um, there's a, there's an outside shot from what I'm hearing that Kevin Hart might be in this movie. I'm just I, hey, <laughs> I'm just telling you. See, two hundred and thirty million dollars is is a, a is a, a great deal of money. You remember this is 1996. You can do you can make that money back. Much quickly now. This is this, true. That I'm just saying. So you are are acting as if I'm talking Titanic numbers and like, wait, wait. You mean bigger than the first Titanic? No, I'm talking about the bigger than the first Space Jam. <laughs> you know, the, you got to remember, we didn't have the technology uh, 20 years ago that we have now, right? Right. Secondly, Michael Jordan, of course, is a cultural icon, right? But LeBron James in this generation, yeah, pretty much kind of the same thing. And I think he's more socially active than Jordan ever was. I honestly believe that this is going to be a huge film. And LeBron has great crossover appeal. And as I said, mixing it in with a real director who can actually bring something to this thing. I'm Okay. Don't don't worry about it. We have this as a show. So when it happens, I will just cut this clip out and we will just paste (laughs) it and replay it. I'm I'm not good. I'm not going to disagree with you that Cooler has done outstanding work, but there comes a time when something is going to fall flat, and this and I'm hoping that this won't be the one. You mean sort of the way I thought that Ant Man and the Wasp would fall flat, sure, and it made like a, a boatload of money because everything Marvel touches works. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm you're, just I, saying. I, you, you're right about Coogler, but this is this is the whole reason why LeBron left Cleveland. He moved to the Los Angeles oh, to, to, be, to be involved in things of this nature. And they've been rumoring a Space Jam 2 movie for decade almost. Uh, right. and, and now we're finally getting it. Is it going to be any good? 
it can't be it can't be any worse. But I mean, if, if the first one is iconic. You're right. I it's mean, iconic. You know, okay. I mean, you know, Jerry it, West. Jerry it, West is it, on the, is on the, is the logo on the basketball, and, and still there was Dr. J and Jordan and James. No, and it's, a bunch it's of Uncle people. Drew was Uncle Drew was the logo. <laughs> Uncle Drew, <laughs> something's wrong with you, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's okay. So we will stick a pin in that one. We'll come back because now I've got it on tape. And let's uh, congratulate Carrie, director Carrie G- Joji Fukunaga. Now, here's a gentleman I interviewed a couple of years ago when he directed a film for Netflix called Beast of No Nations. Yes. And really good dude. He is now going to direct Bond 25, the 25th installment of one of the longest running franchises in motion picture history. This brother went from Beast of No Nation Netflix to James Bond. <laughs> Congratulations! I, now watch this. I I'm gonna say congratulations, man. But you, I, I'm always astounded, man, at the jumps that people make, man. Like you know, I've talked to somebody one time about how we have directors who direct these Sundance films, and then suddenly they're doing like Tomorrowland or some two hundred million dollar movie. I, I, again, I'm not knocking this brother because I met him and I know him, but. Man, that's a huge jump from, and, and also let, let's also understand. He, I think he did True Detective too, right? Wasn't he, he one did, of the? He did. He was one yeah, of the. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So True Detective. So okay. So I take that back. He didn't just jump from Beast of No Nations. It was True Detective and Beast of No Nations to Bond Twenty Five. So that's a that's a it's good still, move. It's still a big jump. Though. It's a it's a it, big it's jump, a really man. Big but, jump, and it it kind of reminds me of uh, Miss Duvernay when she went to. Uh, uh, time. time. It was a little bit out of That's her out of her realm. It's out of her her sphere. So you know, I'm hoping that he can pull this together. I mean, I'm g- glad you have a great agent that can get you something like this. But you you got to perform, dude. This is this is Bond, man. Let me tell you something, and, man. And this is supposedly Craig's last one. Well, but, you know, they keep saying every they say that every every film, every one. It, it'll be 2029. They'd be like, you know, this is Craig's last film. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe it'll hopefully it'll be good that it doesn't encourage Craig to to stop doing it. But who knows? I mean, Idris is in, in the wings waiting to do Bond. Well, as well. I, you know, the Idris Elba as Bond thing. I, you know, I still don't think it's over. I think that uh, the longer you wait, you're gonna actually. I mean, because Craig and all those guys are around fifty something. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. he can still do it. Idris Idris isn't fifty yet. Um, I think honestly that at some point, much like they are now teasing, as you said uh, previously about Michael B. Jordan could be Superman. Why would you not at some point think about doing a female or an African American or, or an African American? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that that to me is not even like something that's like far fetched at this point. Um, so the other story that I really wanted to hit, man, was an uh, interview recently that Chevy Chase did, where he literally. Just burnt down the entire legacy and house of <laughs> SNL uh, with a story where it says uh, Chase Blast SNL, Will Ferrell, Tina Fey, and everybody else not named Dan Aykroyd or Gilda Radner. He even had a shot for Eddie Murphy, which I found to be incredible. Really interesting. Eddie Murphy to me. People argue about John Belushi being the funniest person. I know Rolling Stone did a. Um, uh, a list of the funniest cast members, and they had Belushi one and Murphy two. 
Uh, no disrespect to John Belushi, right? Because John Belushi was hella funny yes. on SNL, yes. right? Eddie Murphy saved SNL. So for people at home who are too young and don't remember, the the original cast that not ready for time, time primetime players were on from 76 to 80, right? Right. Uh, Lauren Michaels was there originally. Lauren bounced along with the entire cast in 1980. Right. They brought in Dick and, Ebersole. And it floundered. Right? This show in 1980 was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, uh, I think the guy's name was either Dan Rocket or Charlie Rocket was like their big guy. It was just like their next Chevy Chase. He wasn't funny at all. No. They had a bit player on there, two bit players. Joe Piscopo and this little black 19-year-old kid out of Roosevelt, Long Island named Eddie Murphy, right? In season, in 81, they elevated Eddie Murphy and Piscopo to, like, full cast status and literally put the show on on Murphy's back for, like, three years where he was in, like, if you, like, I I had the opportunity recently to go back and watch, like, those seasons that Murphy was on. Mm -hmm. They had Murphy in, like, 40% of those sketches. (laughs) Matter of fact, Eddie Murphy, to this day, is the only person, whoever was an active cast member, who got the chance to host the show, because he hosted when Nick Nolte and him had done 48 Hours. Right. Nolte got sick, didn't come. So Murphy was a cast member who hosted the show. Uh, at the same time. Literally. Yes. And it was him who saved the show. He leaves the show in 84. Lorne Michaels comes back. They go through some lean years. And then in the 90s, it's kind of a rebirth. But Eddie Murphy, to me, deserves like platinum status on SNL. He is the reason that an SNL still exists to this day and did not get canceled in the early 1980s. So, saying all that, we got a couple of minutes because uh, our timekeeper is riding us today. Um, he as he basically, should. As yeah, he should. As he should. And, 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 and we got no smile on his face on that one. <laughs> uh, he says, Chevy Chase says, Will Ferrell, just not funny. Tina Fey, I didn't see what all the folder roll was about. Kristen Wiig, she has two things going for her. She has clear-cut chops, and she was pretty too. But what happened to her? Where did she go? Eddie Murphy. This is what he says about Eddie. I thought Eddie Murphy was funny. Gumby, I found that funny and people loved that. Stevie Wonder, he did that well. It's not that hard for Christ's sakes. Your skin is the same color. You just put on some sunglasses and do this. That's what Chevy Chase said about Eddie Murphy on SNL. Mm. (laughs) And this is why Chevy Chase is not working anywhere in the entertainment industry. Oh, but what I got still got one more. He said in the article, he also talks about his relationship with Donald Glover. He said in an article for New York in 2015 that uh, Glover Glover told him, people think you're funny, funnier because you're black. Glover said at the time, I just saw Chevy is fighting time. A true artist has to be okay with his reign being over. I can't help him if he's thrashing in the water, but I know there's a human in there somewhere. <laughs> and, and to me, oh, this, is, this guy is 74 years old. Right. He's, he's, he's experienced life and drugs and everything else that happened from when he grew up. Maybe his mind is just gone. Can, can we second. just say that his mind may be gone? Say, I know there's a human in there somewhere. <laughs> Um, woo! That was a good one. You know, Touche, Childish Gambino. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Chevy right. Chase. Uh, let's just say, uh, what, what was the name of that character he used to play? Uh, uh, Fletch? Yeah. I think Fletch. I think we've seen the last of Fletch for a minute, man. So that's all we'll do here. But 
Check out that article, man. Google that. I think it's funny read, man. It really is. All right, coming up next is going to be uh, my conversation with the festival senior festival programmer for the Over the Rhine Film Fest. as T.T. Stern Enzi. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is John David Washington, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keep it real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. All right, and welcome back to the show. And as we've been discussing the past few weeks, the second half of the film festival season is underway, and our next guest is senior programmer of the Over the Rhine Film Festival in Cincinnati, which spotlights disabilities in cinema. T.T. Stern-Enzi is a veteran film critic, festival programmer, and accomplished writer. I'd like to welcome him to our show. Brother T.T., what's going on? Hey, good to be on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, man. The Over the Rhine Film Festival, you're a week away, man. You're a week That's away. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the time when, you know, all, all the details are falling into place. Everybody's getting excited around the city. And, again, it's just going to be a great spotlight for film. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. All right. Well, that's good, man. So let's talk a little bit about the festival, man. Um, and, and as we talk about it, remember, I have some involvement in this festival because it's not just you, my friend, and you're a fellow programmer, man. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on, uh, going on over the over the Rhine Film Fest during the entire festival weekend. Right. Well, the, the great thing about our festival, and this is our first year under under a rebranding, we started out with this festival for the last three years. Now we've been running it as part of Real Abilities. Right. Which gave us the opportunity to really focus in on stories of, you know, people overcoming challenges, a variety of different kinds of challenges, physical, mental, psychological challenges. And, and as part of that festival and part of that event, those 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 film festivals were really taking place all over the city. Right. Uh, one of the things that the team decided on for this year, though, that they wanted to do a little differently, they wanted to really kind of hone in on one of the up-and-coming neighborhoods in the city, which is downtown. So they, they chose the Over the Rhine name based on the Over the Rhine neighborhood in Cincinnati, which is in downtown Cincinnati. We, we have a, a really interesting history with all of that because, of course, Cincinnati, most like most urban cities in the United States, has had issues with riots and civil unrest and, and all that. And that ha- actually hit in Cincinnati back in 2001 in Over the Rhine. So this is an opportunity for us to really connect with that neighborhood and that part of the city to sort of help bolster it now that it's really uh, it's really on the on the uptick. And this is a great opportunity for us to be there and to be supportive of, of again, that community. But it also gives us a chance to kind of look at what we were doing as a festival. Right. So we decided to move beyond just the, the strict focus on disability to really talk about and explore issues of diversity within our entire community. So that gave us a chance to look at 
freedom and faith and questions of identity, uh, but also know that as we're talking about diversity, we wanted to make sure that we were we were letting our audience know that we wanted to talk about it, but make sure that they saw and understood that disability should be a part of that discussion as well. So that's really, that's a big focus for us. Right. And I, and you know, and of course I've had an opportunity to see some of the films, man, and I have really been impressed, not just with the production value, but the, 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 the diversity and the variety of different stories that spotlight a lot of these disabilities, as I said earlier and during the intro, um, talk about the concerted effort, man, of your programming team and uh, how you were able to bring so many of these amazing stories to this festival. Right. Well, it's a two-part process, and this happens, obviously, with really any film festival. You are working with the films that you get through the submission pool. So we, for again, for a first-year festival, we reached out. We used Film Freeway without a box and got about 125 or somewhere between 125 and 150 films from all over the world that were submitted. So people read about the festival, read about our focus on on the expansion beyond disability to look at issues of diversity as a whole. And we got some great stories from all over the world. So we've got, you know, again, some stories that we're going to spotlight that look at uh, that are kind of dealing with everything from, we've got one that we're using for educational programming about a, a young man who's a double amputee who is just a kid in his neighborhood has a crush on a young woman. They go to have coffee. Her purse gets snatched, and this guy chases after the purse snatchers, tracks them down, and he does in the film. It's a short film, but it allows us to see this protagonist, who's, again, a young man with with no legs, hmm. but who's able to track these guys down. He does all of his own stunts, and he is really this really cool and interesting kind of action hero that, that again, we don't normally get to see in films. And that film came to us through the submission process. Hmm. So that was a great opportunity for us to, again, to sort of spotlight someone else's story, another community look at disability and how, again, this is a guy who does not allow his disability to limit him in any way at all. And was a great example of that, you know, that kind of spirit that we wanted to bring in for the festival. So again, that's the submission side. But then the other great part of this is you also have curators who are out there going to festivals who are checking out stories um, from other festivals. And, other, and again, they're, sometimes they're bigger titles that uh, may be studio picks or they could be more independent projects from around the world. But again, that also gives us the opportunity to kind of flip this, you know, flip the script a little bit on sort of the traditional ways that we might think about these issues. So we get to look at questions of, for instance, identity that do not necessarily have to just focus on sexual identity or sexual orientation, but again, it gets into racial identity, national identity, all of the ways that that word can be interpreted and how we, how we can look at it and kind of you know, appropriate it into our own lives and our own stories. So the curators were able to go out and help us find some of those kinds of stories that, again, will give us a broader kind of sweep and feel for the festival that, again, is also going to give us a chance to bring some films into the Cincinnati region that we ordinarily wouldn't necessarily get to see through normal distribution. 
All right. I'm online with uh, the senior programmer for the Over the Rhine Film Festival in Cincinnati. That's T.T. Stern Enzi. T.T. and I have known each other now. What is it? Close to 20 years now, man. Pretty close, yes. Um, and, you know, as, as African-American film critics, man, I am proud of the journey you've taken. And, you know, I've, I've shared with you that you and another one of our colleagues, Kevin Sampson, uh, you know, we all are out there now trying to expand into this film festival space. And, you know, I have leaned on you and that brother Kevin for months, man, trying <laughs> as we navigate <laughs> through the through a lot of these uh, situations, man. Talk about uh, some of the programming, though, that you guys are going to have uh, that you've invited me to be a part of in Cincinnati. Well, right. I mean, you know, and I, I appreciate everything you said. And again, I think one of the things that, that people should know is that as much as you're talking about how you kind of leaned on me for this, I have to admit, I was leaning on you just as much. Because again, we were both in the same situation as first-time programmers trying to sort of figure out what this this other side of the, the, the festival experience is going to look like. You know, having both had the opportunity to attend lots of film festivals and cover them, right. it's a very different animal kind of stepping in and, and working and getting behind the scenes or trying to put put these kinds of events together. Right. So that piece of it was actually kind of a fascinating challenge for me uh, to be able to step into that role. But I think the other part for me, and again, I've already kind of hinted at this, I think a big part of what's really inspired me throughout this whole process is it has, I've been in Cincinnati now uh, almost 20 years, almost the entire, almost the same amount of time that we've known each other. Right. And, you know, like I said earlier, I have seen Cincinnati go from the riots in 2001 and kind of being at our lowest point in terms of our own civic identity and, you know, how we looked at ourselves and how we were looking at different communities in the city and people in those communities. And I really feel like this festival gives me an opportunity to kind of help change that narrative for the city, city a little bit. We are definitely, like I said, on an uptick in terms of having, you know, kind of figured out the idea of bringing in bars and restaurants and, and having a huge and thriving restaurant scene and, and cultural and arts institutions, but film is not necessarily as well represented in that whole mix. And this is a great opportunity to sort of step in offer this offer this festival up and sort of show that again not only do we have the film productions that are taking place here in the city which again we've had major strides that have taken place in the last definitely in the last five to seven years on that front but we need to now focus on making sure that people understand not only are the films being made here but we have some opportunities for exhibition to become a major player in the in the in the environment and again make it a real make it a real arts institution so i'm ex i'm excited about that opportunity all right well tell the folks man what is what are gonna which films are gonna open and close the festival next week uh we are starting actually with a family film um it's exciting for us we have a again in the otr community we've got washington park which is a big outdoor uh, park and facility right across from um, Memorial Hall, which is one of our centerpiece institutions, arts institutions in the city. We're going to be screening Christopher Robin in the park for families. It's nice. a free screening uh, Wednesday night to kick things off. So we want to make sure that, again, we get families that are going to come 
had the opportunity to hang out with the kids out on the lawn, catching the film on the big screen. We will be promoting heavily everything else that will be taking place for the rest of the rest of the weekend. Um, and we figured that was just going to be a great opportunity. Disney has been a wonderful partner for us, uh, giving us the rights to that film. And we have actually have a couple of other treats from them that are going to going to unspool over the course of the festival as well. But that's a great kickoff for us. And the funny thing is, we don't necessarily have sort of a, an official closing film necessarily. But one of the thing, one of the events that we're doing, which we're really excited about, uh, Saturday night we're doing a big sort of festival party that we're basing around uh, the screening that we're going to do of the Sammy Davis Jr. documentary, uh, I Gotta Be Me. Yeah, which yeah. Which was a film I saw last year in Toronto and just flipped over. And as a matter of fact, pretty much every audience that saw it in Toronto at the festival last year, yeah, I mean, it was it's an amazing story. It's, you know, Sammy Davis Jr.'s life was one of those, and I remember writing about him when once I saw the film, he was one of those guys who, you know, we, we throw around the word genius pretty pretty loosely. You know, if you're if you're really good at one aspect of things, somebody might label you a genius. Sammy was a, a, a great dancer, singer, impressionist. You know, he was an actor. He could do it all. So it felt like, to say, in some respects, genius wasn't really a, a strong enough word to cover all that he could do. And this film also highlights the fact that there were so many aspects of his life on a on a cultural and social level that he had huge impacts as well. Mm-hmm. Which again, for us, it perfectly lined up with this idea and this notion of diversity for you know for again as a as a as a strong theme for our festival. We couldn't we couldn't not go with this. So we're we're programming that night with that screening. We're, we'll do our award ceremony right after that, and then we're going to have a huge Rat Pack party oh, that man. will kind of get into the spirit of his times and get the community into the spirit of his times. Man, so, that, that sounds like a party. I need to be there, man. How do I get is, into that? It is going to be a huge, huge party. <laughs> you know, I cannot wait for people to experience that. You know, it's going to be one of those one of those big ticket events. But again, once you're in there, you're going to really love everything, and, and we're going to want to you know have pictures and really sort of soak up that whole environment. So, like I said, that's going to happen Saturday night, but we will still have films that are going to be running literally through Sunday evening. All so right, man. This, so you know, the festival. Let me just tell you, it's not going to end. We're, right, we're going to keep the party going. Well, tell people, man. Uh, you know, my uh, our program director. He looks like he is anxious to fly to Cincinnati for this, man. Tell people <laughs> how they can get tickets to the Over the Rhine Fest here in DC. Well, the simple thing to do. Uh, everything is set up on our website. It's otrfilmfest.org. All the films are listed on there. Your times, your ticket prices, everything. You can get a full spectrum of passes to see either one film or multiple films. Everything's lined up. We are pushing like crazy to get people to check that site out. We also have a link on the website so you can actually get uh, the app that we have for the for the festival as well. Because we are going to be using that app to kind of help us track not just people's experiences with the films, but again, sort of looking at how they're experiencing the ideas of the film. Uh, and also, to a certain extent, we want to use this to kind of get a feel for how people are connecting with the city. Because again, 
like I said, as much as we're promoting film with this festival, we're really promo- promoting Cincinnati. So if if you get if anybody there wants to come check out the festival, also know that they're coming to check out Cincinnati, and we want you to have a good time in the city. All right, sir. We got thirty seconds left. Uh, can you share with the people? You, you got me coming to this festival, man. What do you want me to do with this festival, man? You were coming in as a juror, so you will again. You've mentioned you've had the chance to see some of the films. You will see more of those films. Help us vote for the best films and several categories throughout the festival. This is all on the submission side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, the other part of this, you and the other judges are going to come in and hopefully have a first rate experience of Cincinnati. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And again, I'm just looking forward to hanging out with you for a little bit too. We can watch some movies together. Works right there. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to end it right there. I will see you next week. Uh, it's the over the rhyme film fest. It is TT Stern Enzy. My brother. Thanks for stopping through, man. All right. Thank you. And hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you. All right, man. You take care. I'll see you next week. All right. Cool. All right, and of course, that was our special guest, T.T. Stern-Enzi, who is the senior programmer for the Over the Rhine Film Festival, uh, which kicks off on uh, Wednesday, September the 26th through Sunday, September the 30th in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, For more information, he's giving you the URL to the site. You guys check it out. When we come back on the other side, it's going to be time to talk movies, and we've got two of them reviewed uh, that we're going to review this week. You guys keep it where you got. It. You're listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4 and that's dcradio.gov. We'll be right back. Y'all appointed me to bring rap justice, but I ain't 5-0, y'all know it's not yo. Great goose and a whole lot of hydro, only describe us as soldier survivors. Stay laced in the best, well-dressed with finesse in the white tee, looking for white meat. Thug girl who fly and talk so nicely, put her in the coop so she can feel the nice breeze. We could drive through the city, no doubt, but don't say my car's topless. Say that, see, this is out. Newness, here's the anthem, put your hand up that you shoot with, count your loot with. Push the pool stick in your new crib, same hand that you hook with, swing around like you stupid. Welcome back to our final segment, and as usual, this week's reviews are brought to you by thefilmgordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict, me. Check out all of our film content at thefilmgordon.com. Now, this week, two new films open in area theaters, including the directorial debut from acclaimed television producer and screenwriter Dan Fogelman. But before we begin, cue the music. Now, we start with another of my favorite films, and, uh, you know, this film that we're going to tackle first, before we get to uh, Fogelman's film, let's take a look at The House with the Clock in Its Walls. Now, this story, of course, follows a young boy who goes to live with his uncle in a creaky old house, which is haunted by the original owner's ghost, who's about to end the world with a clock he has made before his death and hidden within the house. This dark fantasy comedy is directed by Shockmeister Eli Roth and is based on a 1973 novel of the same name by John Bel Airs and stars Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, 
Owen Vicario, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Sonny Sujdi, and Kyle McLaughlin. Now, in this clip, Lewis discovers the fascinating relationship between his uncle and his next-door neighbor. That's a lot of clocks. Well, what constitutes a lot is really a matter of personal taste. For me, it's a perfect amount of clocks. Oh, sorry, there's a deranged cuckoo in there. Your ratchet wheel's shot and the click spring's not far behind. Hello, you're Lewis, I presume. How was your trip? This old hag is my next-door neighbor, Mrs. Florence Zimmerman. I'm relieved to see you didn't inherit your uncle's freakishly oversized head. Huh, says the woman who literally looks like a Q-tip. Oh, look, the giant head is angry. My God, did that withered purple skeleton just speak? She thinks she's smarter than me because she's got more college degrees. No, I think I'm smarter than you because I'm smarter than you. Now, after both of his parents are killed in an accident, shy and introverted 10-year-old Lewis is sent to live with his uncle Jonathan in the bustling hub of New Zebedee, Michigan in the Eisenhower era 1955. Now, almost immediately, he senses something is not quite right, and along with his uncle's neighbor and best friend Florence, played by Blanchett, Lewis slowly settles in his new strange surroundings filled with tons of timepieces and some strange, strange magic. Now, the pairing of horror shockmaster Roth and the maker of E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Goonies, Spielberg, is an interesting mix of horror that's designed to scare the bejesus out of small kids per Spielberg's instructions to Roth. That's a strange marriage indeed as Roth dials down many of his signature horror instincts without compromising the genre's sensibilities. However, despite Roth's best efforts, the result will entertain young people but leave the adults that would accompany them indifferent. Now, many of the effects that Roth employs either have been overused in previous films or have been executed better in others. There's one particularly disturbing scene featuring a demonic set of robots and figurines that may cause sleepless nights for little ones, but many of the other effects will have marginal impact on children who have seen more and other stories. Now, Black and Blanchett have wonderful chemistry and their relationship and dialogue augment much of the film's slow and uneven pacing. Now, this film would have benefited, at least for me, by being released closer to Halloween, where it would have reached a sizable target market and served as a welcome alternative for little kids augmenting their trick-or-treat efforts. Either way, it will become, and I, I think it'll become a holiday stable moving forward for young kids and fans of the book. Didn't do much for me, nor all the critics that watched it with me who literally all got good naps <laughs> watching this movie. I gave this movie a C. Um, not horrible. Not great. Sort of, like I said, one of the worst things that I, I hate about movies are when movies are sort of middle of the road and that, you know, I can neither embrace it or totally turn my back on it. Which brings me to... Our other film this weekend, Life Itself, uh, which follows uh, multiple couples over numerous generations and how they all connect, that are, how they all are connected, I should say, by a single event. Now, this romantic comedy slash drama is written and directed by Dan Fogelman and stars Oscar Isaac, Olivia Wilde, Mandy Pantankin, Olivia Cook. Leia Costa, Annette Benning, and Antonio Banderas. And in this clip, Will declares his intentions for Abby, uh, his lifelong intentions for her. You ever gonna ask me out, Will? 
I'm just waiting for the right moment. That's good to know. All right. I'll see you around. Abby, I'm waiting for the right moment, because when I ask you out, there's not going to be any turning back for me. I'm not going to date anybody else for the rest of my life. I'm not going to love anybody else for the rest of my life. I'm not going to really care about anything else for the rest of my life. I'm waiting for the right moment, Abby, because when I ask you out, it's going to be the most important moment of my life. And I just want to make sure that I get it right. Now, this is something that I traditionally don't do on the show, and I'm going to do it for this film because it bothered me. Um, I left this movie last night, and it got me to thinking, uh, looking at Fogelman's work on This Is Us and understanding how layered that story is with him telling an origin story and then three separate character stories at the same time. Uh, This film, Life Itself, feels like an effort, kind of like a darker <laughs> version, a more morbid, darker version of that same similar story. Um, this this film in itself is told in chapters. So you have chapter one, which is a story of how one couple meets. Chapter two is the child that they have and how that child has to deal with the tragedy that happens in the first chapter. Chapter three explores it from the other side of a, of a, of a young child who witnesses the horrific events that happened in the first chapter. And then chapter four is kind of the culmination in the wrap up of it all. I will just say that I thought that the, uh, the intro for this film was a little strange. It threw everybody off. Secondly, uh, the character that uh, Isaacs plays clearly is not listening and he is so absorbed in this relationship that he wants with, um, uh, what is her name? Olivia Wilde, that he fails to really understand or listen that the love he, he loves her so much that he smothers her. And in turn, when tragedy strikes, it, it, it not only strikes for her, but it strikes for him as well, because it destroys and breaks him, which in turn affects the child and then the generations to come. Um, I, I will just short, I will end this by saying that I think that Fogelman has a lot to say in this film. And Charles Kirkland, who, who was on our show earlier, said it best that Fogelman probably works better doing episodic television because trying to tell kind of a two hour story without it being broken down into chapters. It, it just doesn't work. It's and I saw reviews. Rolling Stone called it the worst movie of the year, and other people said that the movie's not worth your tears. I wouldn't say it's that bad, but it's really not that good either. And I sat with a group of critics watching this movie, and we spent the evening all turning to each other with with looks of wonderment on our face, like what the what word really? <laughs> it's just not a good film. I would say. You can go see life itself. I think it has some some parts of some merit in it. But if you really want to see Fogelman's best work, just go home and pull up your NBC.com app and just watch episodes of This Is Us. It'll make you feel better. It's much better for you. It's broken out in a way that I think works better. I think I think life itself is a peculiar film and it's only getting big notoriety because of the stars that are involved and the creator and director behind it. But outside of that, if you take all that away, the emperor has no clothes. Don't do it to yourself if you if you don't have to. Um, I still gave the movie a C plus. 
Um, I think it's a, I think it's an average film uh, that is benefited by, as I said, name recognition. Um, Oscar Isaac's character just bothered me tremendously. It, it just he just was way too needy, way too needy. He just a broken broken character in a film that's really not that good that waste i don't even want to say the name of the a-list star that they use at the beginning of the film uh yeah i'll leave that as a surprise but life itself is uh simply not that good and i think there were a lot of expectations because of this is us and this film just does not match up all right so that is it for us this week and on behalf of our producer jessica sturgis and max myrick we say in closing please see something good at the movies to be perfectly honest neither of these films are winners this week (laughs) so whatever i said last week watch one of those instead of either of these two uh but you have a wonderful weekend and of course we'll see you on the other side peace Bust stop glass bursts, a fiend drops his Heineken Ricochet between the spots that I'm hiding in Black it out as I duck back, forget getting hit This is my hood, I'm a rap to the death of it To everybody come home, little brothers is grown Hood rats, don't abortion your wound We need more warriors soon, sent from the stars, sun and the moon And it's like a police chasing street and coppers Stick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors If you really think you're ready to fly with my power This is what nonsense nice. about brothers, the time is now All I need is one mic. That's all I need. All I need is one mic. All I need. All I need is one mic. All I need is one cup, one page, and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Touch all of them. Jesus died at age 33. It's 33. Between 16 apiece, that's 32, which means one of my duns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew, six went into you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never get caught up. Pain to go through the innocent, nothing is fair. Brothers roll up from wheelchairs, my heart is racing. Tasting revenge in the air. I let this all slide for too many years, too many times. Now I'm strapped with a couple of too many. If that people really with me, get busy, load up the. Do more than just hold it, explode the until you empty. There's nothing in our way. They, they rush, we rush. Flying, feeling, I feel it in my gut that we take these dudes to war. Lie them down, cause we stronger now. My people's the time is now. All I need is one mic. That's all I need. That's all I need. All I need is one mic. There's nothing else in the world. All I need is one mic. That's all a nigga need to do his thing, no. All I need is one mic. All I need is one life, one try, one breath on one man. What I stand for speaks for itself. They don't understand and want to see me on top. Too egotistical, talking all that slick stuff behind it. Anything and everything you don't fly
something new to me You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue But you can't bring the truth to me And we open all your expectations I don't even want your congratulations I recognize your false confidence and calculated promises All in your conversation I hate people that feel entitled Look at me crazy cause I ain't invite you Oh you important, you the moral to the story You endorsing what the